The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
your face and turn from my wicked ways and you will heal Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. Could we be very personal and honest with one another? The truth is, we have all suffered grievous wounds to our heart. Some of those wounds were created by by others as they rejected us, as they judged us, as they said unkind things to us, as they bullied us. Some of those wounds have been caused by failure. We did not achieve what we had hoped to achieve. Our plans crashed and burned. We lost time and money, and friends. And our hearts are grieved by this. And then some of those wounds were caused by our own misjudgment, by our own mistakes. And so we have often walked in self-condemnation. Obviously, I'm responsible for my own life. And when I've made mistakes, then I have to go back and clean up that mistake. And sometimes the cleanup process for a mistake can take almost a lifetime. Paying back money lost, paying back debt. And so these wounds in our heart, they bleed. And they cause us to respond to others, sometimes by trying to please everybody. Knowing that it's impossible to please everybody. Somebody will be angry with us. So we try to avoid the angry ones and be around people that don't make us more miserable. Some of us try to insist that we're right that we know, and we become very self-righteous and try to straighten other people out. If they would just do what I know to do, everything would be fine for them. So we become very, very hard-edged, self-righteous, judging others. If they would just do what I know to do, they'd be fine. It's their own fault they're in that position. I'm not going to, I can't do anything to help them, so I'm going to distance from them. And others turn to self-righteousness. If they just knew the truth, they'd be okay. But they've been deceived. And so in that hard-edged place of 
judgment, we sometimes finally say, well, this is who I am, God. You're just going to have to accept me the way I am. All I can do is what I can do. If I can't do anymore, I can't do anymore. And God, you're just going to have to accept me the way I am. And so for some, the solution is, look, make peace with yourself and recognize the mess you're in. Recognize that you can't do anything to change it other than what you've already done. Accept that life is hard, that this is life. And it, it's not going to change. I don't like any of those. And so I have, with many of you, sat in the ashes of my own life and been utterly miserable. Okay, I made the mess. I've got to pay the price. Yes, God can forgive me for my sin, but he won't take away the consequence of my sin. I have to suffer that for years. And so we become very stoical and very, very hard. And we make the people around us in our families, we make them suffer. Oh, I have. I made my daughter suffer by my self-righteousness, for which I am utterly brokenhearted today. Especially when I see them now acting toward me the way I acted toward my father. Apples don't fall far from the tree. So what are we going to do with all of these wounds and pains? And some of us have had counseling and taken seminars and workshops and read self-help books, all of which have been somewhat helpful in how to deal with the wounds of our hearts. Some have taught us how to deal with some of those wounds to ease the pain. But how do you ease the pain of, of your wife or your husband dying and you're alone? How do you deal with the pain when your spouse, the one you have loved and poured your heart out for, turns against you? and walks away. How do you how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the loneliness that comes upon your heart in the dark hours of the night? What's the answer? Well, I'll be honest with you, I really only have one answer. It's not an escape. It's an honest answer. In Revelation, the third chapter, I'm going to read verse 17. 
you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So it's possible to be wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and not even know it. And just think, this is life. This is how it is. I just have to face it and deal with it. No. That's not how it works. So Jesus, speaking to that church, says, I counsel you, buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now, it's interesting to me, in this account, he says you're wretched and you're pitiful. Why are you wretched and why are you pitiful? Well, first, because you're poor and you don't have any money. You don't have what it takes. You're blind because you can't see out of your eyes. You can't see the reality of what's going on. There's a veil over your face. And you're naked. You're uncovered. He said, because you're in that condition, you're wretched. And you're pitiful. Now some of you today are in that condition. You don't even know you're naked and miserable because you've made peace and said, this is how life is. I can't change it. I'm responsible. I've done it. I have sat in the ashes of my life and I finally had to recognize that I had no answers, that I could not rescue myself, that I was not able to deliver myself from the situation I had created, either through just honest mistakes or, or through the lust of my heart. And they didn't know what to do. Well, there's a scripture. Let me turn to it. It's found in Romans, the seventh chapter. Let me read it for you. A distressed man I am, who will deliver me out from the body of this death, who will deliver me out of this ash heap, 
Where can I go? Where can I turn for help? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself indeed, with a mind, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's this law of sin that we've been caught in that has caused abject misery in our hearts and caused our hearts to be so wounded. So what do we do with this? Again, I come to Romans, the sixth chapter. I'm sorry, I just, I can't get off the sixth chapter of Romans. I've been reading it four or five times a day, just going over and over it, trying to grasp the the depth and the meaning of what this is saying because it actually describes a part of my heart. Now, we come to Jesus. We die to self. We're baptized in water. And the Holy Spirit comes. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we have an inner sense of peace. We have some inner healing in our life. And I come today confessing I have much healing in my life. I'm a much happier person now than I used to be because of my totally giving myself into the hands of Jesus. But I've still had to deal with the pain of a wife lost. I've still had to deal with the pains of life. Chapter 6 of Romans. What then shall we say? Continue in sin so that grace may increase. No, grace is never a cover for sin. It always points out the sin. And by the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to make a decision to not walk that way anymore. But now, listen to what he says because he's going to get right to the issue that I'm trying to talk to you about. Verse 11, So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore the sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. What then 
Shall we sin even once hereafter because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you are servants to whom you obey, whether of sin in death or of obedience in righteousness? So we have laid before us two courses. One, we can give ourselves over to death, self-punishment, fear. We can give ourselves over to wickedness, or we can give ourselves to righteousness. When we come to grace, this is what grace does for us. It gives us the right to choose. Now, the problem is many of you have chosen to serve Jesus, but it has not taken away your misery. It has not soothed your pain. It has not healed your heart. And I can tell you that as time passes, many wounds seem to fade. Never completely, but they do fade, and the pain is not as acute as it used to be. And sometimes this just takes time. But in fact, we're living day by day a new day's life. And if we're living that new day's life in the ashes of our lives, thinking that now we can clean up the mess we created, thinking that the Lord would have us just miserably plow through this as discipline because we messed up, then you're still in the ashes of your life. Even though you've given yourself over to Jesus. I don't believe that giving myself over to Jesus should entail a continual life of of pain and misery. That doesn't work for me. It doesn't work according to what I read in the scriptures. Yes, Jesus says, I will forgive you, but now you're going to have to walk in the pain of your consequences. No, God creates for us a new life. The old life may be destroyed. My life with my late wife was destroyed by death but I still live. She lives with Jesus eternally, but I'm still here. Now, can I trust Jesus to create a new life for me? Yes. I've made financial mistakes. Does that mean that I need now to suffer in those financial mistakes and make my family suffer in those financial mistakes while I work hard to try to change my situation? That's not how Jesus works. He comes and he creates a new life for us. 
the word that's used in Scripture is metamorphosis. I was driving out of a friend's house, the driveway, and over on the left side there were milkweed plants that he'd let grow up on the edge of his of his yard because he loves milkweed. And I stopped and looked carefully, and there I saw the worms of the monarch butterfly. They're beautiful. And soon those worms, as they are chewing away on that milkweed leaf, are going to be spinning a chrysalis. And it will be a beautiful emerald green chrysalis, perfectly shaped, with a gold dot on it. And out of that chrysalis will come, given time, a beautiful, gorgeous monarch butterfly. Have you ever watched a monarch come out of its chrysalis? I have many times. Very slowly, their wet wings begin to expand and dry until finally the monarch takes to the air with such grace and such beauty. And those fragile wings will carry it all the way to Mexico where it will winter. What a miracle of delight. Well, that which happens in the chrysalis is called metamorphosis. It's metamorphosed. It's transformed. It becomes something it was not before. Now, I want you to hear me. When you come to Jesus and you go through the crucifixion with Jesus and you go through the death with Jesus, you are metamorphosed. You are changed into a new creature. Now, this wonderful news, but thanks be, this is verse 17 of chapter 6, but thanks be to God because you used to be servants of sin, but you obeyed out from a heart a standard of teaching under which you were delivered. You didn't deliver yourself, you were delivered. And having been freed from sin, you were made servants with reference to righteousness. I'm so happy that in the scripture, righteousness, when it's spoken of, is always real righteousness. It's not make-believe righteousness. It's not imputed. It's infused. It's imparted. It's given. It's real. It changes us. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you yielded your members as servants to uncleanness and to lawlessness, so now you must yield your members as servants to righteousness and to holiness. For when you used to be servants of sin, you used to be free from reference to righteousness. What fruit, therefore, were you having then on account that you're now ashamed? What is the fruit of your life? My brother, my sister, be honest with me. Is the fruit of your life endless labor, hard, agonizing, 
punishing your family, punishing yourself, saying, I have to do this. I have to earn this. I have to, I have to straighten out what I messed up. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to do that, that Jesus straightens my mess up and delivers my foot from the snare into which I stepped. Jesus is my deliverer. I want the fruit of holiness. And in the end, I want life eternal. I do not want the wages of sin, which is death. I want the gift of grace from God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I want to go to another passage, please. Look with me at 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Your competence does not come from your hard work, from your solving the problems. Your competence must come from God. This is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, that is the Ten Commandments, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? The ministry that brings Righteousness by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? And I'm saying to you today, don't look at the wounds of your heart too long or too hard. You can find ways to comfort yourself, but in truth, your healing is found in the kingdom of God. You were ushered into that kingdom by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were ushered into that kingdom by entering into righteousness, real righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, he says, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains with the old covenant is red. It has not been removed. Because only in Christ is it taken away. 
Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is not bondage in Jesus. There is freedom. Freedom to live. Do you suppose that the prodigal son, when he came back home, had to take on an extra job to pay his father back? No. He was welcomed with a party into the family of God, and there he began to work hand in hand with the Lord God, with his father, on the farm, producing fruits of righteousness. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed, are being metamorphosed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, there is two comings of the Holy Spirit. There's the coming of the Holy Spirit when we repent of our sins. There's the, there's the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's been working with us. He's been convicting us. But, but when we finally turn our life over to Jesus, there is the coming of an indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit to live a righteous life, to live a holy life. Are we going to make mistakes? Oh, yes, we'll, stay, we'll still make mistakes. But he's called the comforter, the helper. I can't do this alone. I can't do this broadcast alone. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. And he is. And this is a word from the Holy Spirit. I got it this morning as I sat in his presence, as I fellowshiped with him. It's a word about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. It's among us. It's here now. Right now, the kingdom of God. I dwell in the kingdom of God. Right now. But there is a second coming of the Holy Spirit in a bit of a different way. It's spoken of as Pentecost. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give us power, to enable us, yes, to to live fully a righteous life, to heal the inner wounds of our heart to take away the pain of the ashes of our life. Job sat in the ashes with body sores until finally he argued with God about his righteousness. He argued with God that this shouldn't be happening. He argued with God that he's just going to have to suffer. His friends advised him falsely. But finally God came. And he said, I, I have to repent in dust and ashes for thinking that I'm going to always have to sit in these ashes. And God healed him. And then he restored to him double the money, the resources, the family. Oh, the pain was there from his past 
family that he lost in the storm. But his heart is comforted by the most beautiful daughters. He even gives his daughters their share in the inheritance like they were sons. He is wealthy beyond beyond speech. The Lord does not hold us in the clutch of our mistakes. Pastor, that sounds irresponsible. I have to be responsible for what I've done. Okay, you can sit in the ashes and struggle and agonize, but at some point you're going to have to come, as Paul did, to the end of himself and say, I can't live under the law anymore. I've got to step into the Holy Spirit, and I have to have the righteousness of Jesus brought into my life in fullness, and I have to have the Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit where the wounds are healed and I'm finally equipped to do the work that God has assigned me to do. Listen, I want that veil utterly, totally, completely removed from my face and from my heart and from my life. It has not yet been totally removed and is not totally removed until we are empowered to be the servants of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says to me, oh, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you have the power? No. Then there's a problem. There's a problem. We're all called to be the temple of the Lord God. We're all called to be healed and restored. We're called to dwell in the fullness of the Spirit and not in the old way of the law. I reject the law not in the sense of antinomianism, not in the sense that it no longer matters, but I reject the law as my standard for how I should behave. Now I am under the rule of the Holy Spirit, and he has transformed me and is finishing that work of transformation, writing the law upon my heart so that I walk in holiness. Therefore, since through God's mercy... Chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers and they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. Oh, I want the glory of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his power. I dwell in that fullness. And for sure, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The power is not mine. I can't ever do enough to heal all the wounds of my heart. It has to be the power coming from God. 
We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart, verse 16. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Now, I have time to read you one one more short passage. I refuse to live in bondage. I refuse to live in the bondage of the past and in the pain and agony of the past. I give instead, I roll that over instead to Jesus Christ. I don't deny it. I can't deny the agony of my past mistakes or the agony of my my loss of a loved one. I can't deny those things. I can't stuff them down and pretend they're not there. I give them to Jesus. I know what it is to fear the Lord. Verse 14, this is Second Corinthians five fourteen, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Let me ask you a question. You've made serious mistakes. Financial, marriage. You've made serious mistakes with your career. You've been deeply hurt by others. You live under judgments. You think you have to right all the wrongs that you've done. Listen. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Tell me, you who want to be responsible and fix yourself, if you die today, what happens to your debt? If you die today, what happens to all of the wrongs? I can tell you now, I have walked in graveyards and I have walked over the graves of men and never one has risen up and said, stop walking on my grave. No, they're dead. He's saying, we've all died. We're all dead. Verse 15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I am called by Jesus to not live for Ray Greenley. I am called to live for Jesus Christ. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And I want to ask you the question. Are you still living in the old? Punishing yourself with the old? Or are you in the new? A new person in Christ. I will not live in the old any longer. I can't. Because I can't rescue myself out of the old. But I can live in Jesus in the new. And Jesus can deliver me from every bondage. He's not going to make me struggle for years. I now live a new life. How is silver purified? A silversmith said, silver is purified by being put in the hottest part of the fire. Well, how do you know when to take the silver out of that hot fire? When I can see myself in the silver. When it becomes a mirror. And then I take it out because to leave it in longer would destroy it. God is not going to destroy you. Any fire that you find yourself in you turn to Jesus and you surrender and you give up your position and your power and your authority and you say, Jesus, I'm a new creature. Let it be so now. Let it be so now. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that is in the Greek, something that never existed before. Jesus is now responsible. I remember my wife and I many years ago were $70,000 in credit card debt. We were in a desperate place. We had no jobs. We were, we were sinking. We couldn't borrow anymore, so we laid all of those bills out on the couch We got on our faces before God and we confessed that we tried to rescue ourselves. And we asked him, would you pay this debt? Is it true that we can put it under your blood and that you will pay it? We stayed there until we had the assurance that it was under the blood of Jesus. Now he said, I want you to pay this amount every month to each one of these bills but we had no job. So he said, ask me. So there was one man many miles away that started sending us $300 every month. We didn't ask him. He just sent it to us. Others began to send us money every month. And every month we had the money to pay those bills as we spent the time in Scripture, in prayer, ministering to those he called to us. And finally, the bill was paid. Jesus paid it all. Are you a new creation? 
Has the new come? Has the old gone? All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. God does not count your sins against you. He wants to touch you with healing in the power and the anointing of Pentecost. And he has committed to you and to us, to me, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The veil is taken away. We're washed and made clean. Praise God. I praise his mighty name. He is glorious. If you need this veil removed from your face, pray and ask Jesus to remove it. Lord, I just plead right now that you would remove the veil from every person listening to this broadcast and that you would bring us into the fullness of the gospel of righteousness. Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I need your help. As the Holy Spirit moves you, I need your help. I don't need help in the flesh. I need help as the Holy Spirit moves on you. Would you write to me with your donation for this broadcast that we could continue teaching day by day? Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. And you can make your check out to National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also give online. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. And there you'll find the podcast, you'll find the videos. But up in the upper right-hand corner you'll see a button that says Donate. If you'll click on that button, it will open a way for you to give online to this ministry of righteousness and grace. If the Lord moves in your heart, would you do that today? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I thank you for listening today. I pray that this message has been freeing for you and that you will join with many others in this age crying out for the fullness of Pentecost. He is coming. The latter rain is coming and there will be a great move of God in this country to repent and get right. The church has been vomited out of its buildings. But now the question is, will we pray and have the veil removed from our eyes and walk in righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ?
I love you, my brother, my sister. I'm praying for you. I hope one day soon we can meet. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Lord.